ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Jonathan Skogmo. He founded Jukin Media, a digital-first media company powered by user-generated video content. Jukin was acquired by Trusted Media Brands in 2021, and he's now their chief innovation officer. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. In a world where storytelling and authenticity are critical to young consumers, you created a business that harnessed real people, real moments, and user-generated content. And I'd like to talk about your business model from a B2B standpoint, and then dive in to your consumer touch points on either side. But first, for people who aren't familiar, can you give us the elevator pitch description of what Jukin Media is? Jukin Media, we like to say, is a next-generation media company, except everything we do is powered by user-generated content. We believe that everybody has ability to create really great content. A lot of it's coming from their mobile devices. And we find a lot of value in these stories. And we will go out and acquire the rights to these videos. And we will let other folks, we'll license that content, let other folks tell stories with that, those videos, or we will tell stories ourselves and build brands and build formats. At the end of the day, people are creating really great content and we value that content. So it seems like there are almost three businesses. You have the licensable UGC content. You have content channels where brands can advertise to your audiences. And you also have production capabilities. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, I absolutely do. I think it is. But just like any media company, we have different branches and division, but they all work really well together. Let's say that we've created this really great kind of flywheel effect. Each business unit supports uh, each other. Did you build and develop the the content channels or did you acquire them? Or is it a mix of both? It's a combination of both. So, you know, when the business first started out, it was primarily just a a licensing platform. Think of like a Getty Images for viral video or or Shutterstock for viral video user-generated content. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we realized is that we wanted, for us, in order to be a media company, we needed to have another division outside of just licensing. And Mm -hmm. licensing is important in a media company. The IP is really the lifeblood, but how else can we exploit that IP? How else can we monetize that IP? Instead of letting other folks tell stories with our IP, how do we tell stories ourselves? And so we decided to launch our content brands on YouTube. And so uh, it was a combination of acquiring some of these brands and a combination of building them. The ones that we did acquire had extremely small audiences. And now we we built them. You built them. Yeah, a thousand times, you know, what the size that they were when once we acquired them. Are the production services part of an add-on service where somebody wants to team with one of your content creators to create bespoke content, bespoke branded content, or do you make wholly new materials? What, how does the production services part work? It's very rarely that we're going to go out and just produce content like a traditional production company. In fact, actually, we don't do that at all. It's got to be leveraging our IP or our brand. Yeah, that's what I thought it is. And it doesn't sort of stand on its own. It's part, it's really integrated into those other pieces. I have a whole speech that I give to people about how viral isn't a strategy any more than making money is a strategy. Going viral is an outcome of being at the right cultural moment with the right video is mediated by an algorithm that you don't control. 
control. So hitting that right cultural moment and identifying it and knowing what will intersect well with audiences globally is a pretty daunting task and doing it at speed, which is absolutely necessary is mind bogglingly challenging, but you seem to have done it. So (laughs) how, you know, so fine, you've got the make money, you know, be viral outcome. Can, can we look a little bit behind the curtain? You know, how, how do you source the videos? How do you know that they're going to land well? Yeah. So, I mean, the sourcing without getting too granular or giving away too much of the secret sauce, <laughs> the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. it's really just kind of leveraging data. We have great partnerships with, you know, the Facebooks, YouTube, uh, TikToks of the world, Snapchats. And so we're leveraging all that data and we're seeing, you know, what videos are trending. We're trying to predict why they're trending. We're tracking the viewership per hour, the likes, the shares. We built a lot of technology. I mean, we, this, you know, the company, has been around for a decade. Um, at this point, we've gotten very good at, at, at kind of finding those videos that people have never seen before. And then part of, you know, again, the secret sauce is for us to kind of push that reality, push that amplification because we've built such, you know, great audiences on these social platforms. And a lot of this content that we are discovering that we are finding is native to the platform. So it, it feels very organic when we are publishing it. So I guess that's then the question is, are you identifying videos, uh, you know, that you see this constellation of features means it will pop or are you identifying videos that have content that would pop if only it were put through your secret sauce of pushing? How? Yeah, it's certainly a combination of both. I mean, sometimes what you talked about earlier, there are just like certain trends. There are certain um, um, algorithms that, that the platforms have that are just completely out of control. Right. We like to control what we can control. You know, a few years back, we bought, we, we acquired this video called Pizza Rat. Are you familiar with it? It was in New yep. York. Subway. You know, there's tons of videos out there of rats dragging a piece of pizza down the subway stairs. I could not tell you, none of our data could tell you why that particular video hit its reality and became you know, this kind of pop culture zeitgeist moment in history, sometimes just trends work in in mysterious ways. Do you look at your hit rates, your wins and your misses? Do you, are you always tweaking that? How do you, how do you assess and adjust? So as much as we're kind of pulling all this data and we're essentially putting a giant filter on the Mm -hmm. internet. And Mm -hmm. so we're, we're filtering out videos that doesn't meet our criteria, whether that's length, whether it has some copyrighted music, whether maybe it's a big subscriber account, because we're not going after necessarily, you know, the creators that are creating content on a daily basis. A lot of our content right. like, are accidental content creators. Right. Um, well, then your, your margins are better there, I would imagine. Right now, there's a huge talk around the creator economy. And I think we were really one of the first folks to really embrace the creator economy. And so someone who shot this accidental video, we've now, you know, maybe they, maybe they accidentally, you know, drove their car into the garage. Uh, we've now <laughs> right. paid for their garage over and over again. So uh, right. we certainly have built this really great monetization machine for folks that never knew their video could be gold. And I, I think we created the marketplace because of that. Do you watermark your stuff so that you can track if people are using it without licensing? Uh, and so we do when we, we republish that on our own and operated brands. 
Okay. Um, when you see a video that's on all these different platforms, we're, we're actually tracking uh, those videos. We are leveraging uh, YouTube came out with content ID uh, a number of years ago. And so we can actually monetize and circumvent some of that revenue that are infringing on that content. So in some ways, like infringement, where a lot of media companies... You right, know, all the takedown notices. It, it, exactly. Like but we can also monetize that content. So in some ways, it's not beneficial to water market. But when we republish it on one of our brands like Pet Collective or our people are awesome, uh, it will be watermarked. Do you offer consulting or advice to media brands or other brands who partner with you in terms of how to more successfully leverage social channels? You know, we don't. And I know a handful of companies are really good at that, but it's just something that we just kind of do for ourselves. So you do it in-house. Exactly. It's all proprietary. And I think that's why we are one of the biggest digital publishers in the world is that you know, we kind of keep it close to the vest. Um, and we're, right. it just, I think just not being, being in the service business, certainly an item people have come to us over, over the years and said, help us do this, help us find research, help us be our, you know, right. uh, outsourcing this for us or give us, you know, strategic advice, how we grow our subscriber account or social pages. It's just something, you know, that I th- feel like, you know, unless we're owning a piece of it, it's not that interesting to us for at the end of the day, right. people just want to create enterprise value for the company. Right. So you've got a library of 60,000 videos and you're adding 200 each week. How evergreen are these videos? Are they all evergreen? Is that a component of what you're looking at? Yeah, I actually think it's closer to 100,000 now, um, but the oh, 200 wow. is about right. But yeah, this content is, I think, really evergreen. We pay close attention to the unit economics Mm-hmm. Of every video in our library. And when you look at, I mentioned we have a hundred thousand videos, you look at someone like Getty Images, they have like 10 million videos, but right. they're only monetizing 80, you know, 20% of their library, or we're right. monetizing like 90% of our library. You're global. So how does it work across cultures? Do you find that it skews or well, do you what's find so you do? What's great about this content, it is language agnostic. It's universal. Uh, a cute kid is a cute kid in any language. A cute puppy is a cute puppy or a guy falling over is funny. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's so universal. And that's what's so great about this content. It does travel. I think 70% of our audience is actually outside the U.S., um, wow, that's great. Know. If this is really a human reaction, what are the commonalities that you're seeing? You mentioned a cute kid, a cute dog. What are those buckets that you yeah. would say these are commonalities? Like there's the driving into my garage bucket. There's the cute <laughs> kid bucket, the cute animal bucket. What are some of the other buckets? Well, the talk on a very high level, you know, there's, you know, as we know, everyone loves cat videos on the internet. Uh, you know, and there's millions of cat videos loaded, uploaded every single day, but why is it the cat video that we acquire, uh, that we bring into our library? Why is that the one, uh, we're able to monetize? Why is that the one getting the views? And it really just comes back to, you know, traditional storytelling. There is a a catalyst. There is an inciting incident that happens in the video. There's a conflict. There's a climax. There's an, there's a, there's an ending. And I feel, and, you know, just with traditional storytelling, it does apply in user generated content as well, that the content is authentic. It's organic. Our audience will, will call out fake videos. Uh, There are these kind of common denominators that we see over and over, but it does really come back to the storytelling at the end of the day. That's fascinating. The arc. I never really thought about that, but just, just as you were speaking, I started mentally sort of flipping through and thinking, which videos did I remember, which did I enjoy? And you're right that they do, even if it's something that is without sound, that is purely just uh, a visual. Absolutely. If it's engaging, it does 
follow some of those patterns, which is something that people should should be thinking about. So the channels, your proprietary content channels, they seem like they are built on some of these commonalities. You have fails, pets, cute kids. When did you start these channels? Yeah. So it's not by coincidence, you know, certainly we're, we're letting the data tell us, you know, which channels we should be launching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, you know, how much, lo- how much available library content there is out there so we can populate these channels. The timelines are a little messy because we launched some, we put some back, but like we first started off with, with fail army. I think we acquired that as we were thinking, we saw fail videos really big on the internet. It was either 2011, 2012. It had 30,000 subscribers. It was only on one platform. I think today has over like 70 million, 70 million subscribers slash fans. So we grew that quite a bit. That turned into like an international television show. We turned that into, you know, two broadcast television shows, one for Fox and one for broadcast network in the UK. So that became just, you know, a massive household brand. You know, we've now launched that on, on every social platform is they adopted the video. And now we're on, you know, in the, in the fast channel CTV space as well. The other big channel we have is the Pet Collective, which is obviously focused around pets. We acquired that from a traditional media company. Um, and it was actually launched out of the YouTube originals where they were funding channels. Mm-hmm. And this, this company couldn't get the, this traditional media company couldn't get it to work. Now that's, you know, I think our second biggest channel with wow. fans. Uh, it's the largest pet digital pet brand out there. And then the opposite of fail army, our, our third biggest is people are awesome, which is or, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And uh, which also has huge international appeal. And that was, we acquired that company. I think when it, um, when it had 200,000 fans and now, you know, it's close to 40 million again. People are awesome. Now, how does that work without language? Can you, I haven't seen it. So can you give me a a kind of an example of something? Yeah. People are awesome uh, is a name is a brand name that we loved. And so when we acquired it from two folks out of the UK, uh, they were actually, um, they were in the music business mm-hmm. and they were trying to promote their brand. And how they did that was they laid their music over these really amazing videos. And they were actually used to license a lot of our content, whether it was people skydiving, it was BMXers, it was people you know flying out of planes doing these crazy stunts. So it's very visual. It's very um, uh, extreme sports related, extreme sports adjacent. It's also, you know, people doing acts of kindness as well. And you don't really need the uh, audio. You really don't need the language. And so okay. they were putting this over. So they're very visual acts of kindness. A- absolutely. Kind of yeah. It's very big. It's shot in HD. A lot of the footage. Uh, it's also, you know, people doing these amazing feats of strength, uh, amazing feats of athleticism that actually could be in their backyard or a parkour. And so they're actually promoting their brand. They're promoting their band, uh, their music. Um, and knowing that they, I think they kind of gave up on their music career. They realized that this page started getting a lot of steam. And oh. so that was a great opportunity to, uh, work with these folks and partner with them. And so we ended up acquiring, uh, the brand people are awesome. So from really great folks. And, uh, we turned that into one of our, one to one of our biggest brands. New research from Wipols indicates that TikTok is now the number one app for young consumers. It's supplanted YouTube and Instagram, and their algorithm works differently from the Instagram and YouTube algorithm. Has the rise of TikTok changed how you approach things? 
I wouldn't say it has a change in how we approach things and our approach of how we go after and find videos or how we publish videos. Mm-hmm. I think what it's done is it's made user generated content more mainstream. And so we're yeah. a huge fan of that. I think it's really pushed user generated content, particularly when we were all stuck at home during this pandemic, it, it pushed this really kind of clever and creative content creation. It really created a lot more video consumption. We knew, we've always believed user-generated content uh, is popular and people love it, but I think TikTok really kind of pushed the envelope there. And so we're going to be just on, we're going to be paying just as much attention as TikTok as we were paying anywhere else. Wow. That's interesting. So do you use other platforms like Pinterest? Is that a platform that you operate on or not so much because everything is is really video centric? Well, I think Pinterest is much more image centric. So we really focused on um, platforms that are that are focused on video. Mm-hmm. YouTube being uh, obviously, the, I think, the first one to enter the space. Then came Facebook, Snapchat. Twitter, TikTok, and we're programming. We may be taking the same piece of content, but we're actually programming, customizing that that content uh, differently on each platform and leveraging each platform differently. And how well, that's yeah. I was going to ask about that because each platform serves a slightly different purpose for its audience, and what the what they expect to see is slightly different in terms of length, in terms of just everything. Um, so, do you have a favorite? platform that you think is is just works the best with this type of user generated content or is it really it just works across everything well i think what's what's so amazing is that it does work across everything and we're, we're again we are going to customize that content per platform to your point it's going to be about the length it's going to be about where we put the graphic are we going to have a, a show open graphic are we not uh, are we going to put, where are we going to put the watermark? It's all slightly different on each platform. Where are we going to, you know, are we trying to drive engagement there? Are we trying to try views on this platform? We have a different goal for each platform. I think it's all exciting. I think YouTube's always going to be close to my heart because that's what we launched on. And I think any digital native, you know, uh, uh, media publisher launched on, if you started around where Juken started. So that's always going to be close to my heart. Right. But there was a study last week that came out that 40% of all media consumption is user-generated content. Wow. And so, you know, to hear that is just, you know, music to our ears because this is something I think we've been pounding the pavement for many years. And if you go back, you know, six, seven years ago, we couldn't get a single brand to work with us. Um, yeah. <laughs> and now they're falling over themselves. That's so funny. We had over 600 and 700 campaigns last year alone uh, working with Do you A-B um, test what you do or, or no? Absolutely. Uh, particularly on the publishing side, we're A-B testing titles or A-B testing, you know, thumbnails, uh, A-B testing the length of videos. Um, and that's what's so good about obviously being a digital publisher is that you can kind of get that real time feedback, uh, right. whether it's, you know, through data or through the audience. Have you learned anything that surprised you? Oh, so many things over the years, especially when I was really involved in that particular uh, part of the business, learning about different colors, learning about different thumbnails, learning about different lengths. How do you cross road audiences? Absolutely. There's stuff that surprised me every single day, which categories are working, why they're working, when they're working. We are absolutely crushing it on Snapchat. It was just because we tested it called expensive fails. And it's like car Ferraris crashing. Oh, golly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it goes really well on Snapchat. So Does it do better on Snapchat than the other platforms? This, or- this particular program does better on Snapchat than any other platform. Do you have an idea why? 
Um, I don't know off the top of my head why this particular, but I can, I'm sure my, my analytics team and my, my publishing team understand it. Right. So let's wrap up uh, with your thoughts on where things are going and what you think marketing and branding practitioners should be keeping top of mind as they plan their work uh, in 2022. Well, I certainly think before where folks didn't, they discounted user generated content where they didn't think it was premium, premium enough. I think if you're trying to reach an audience, particularly a Gen Z audience, they don't want polished content. They don't want those beautiful, that beautiful car driving through the mountains that you've seen a thousand times. I think advertisers and brands have to look past the 30 second ad that's so polished. I think they got to leverage, they got to leverage user generated content to reach their audience, content that is authentic, content that is organic, and they need to stop thinking about the traditional ways that have been done for the last 70 years in advertising. We're we're in a new era of reaching consumers. And if they're trying to reach Gen Z, they really need to think about authentic storytelling. Okay. Well, I want to just push back a teeny bit in terms of production value, because you actually made a point of mentioning that people are awesome was HD footage. So it doesn't hurt. Right. I mean, it just, it does, does the quality well, of the footage, does it, does that, I mean, and this well, is sort of a conceptual thing. Do you think that the better looking the footage, the harder it is to convince people that it's authentic? Well, I would say people are awesome is more prosumer. We're walking around in our mobile devices with HD quality cameras, right? Right. So it's right. not the $100,000 red camera that we're shooting pizza. People are awesome with, but they're shooting with a GoPro. They're shooting with a drone. Okay. And I would put that in the UGC category. So it still looks very nice but it also doesn't look as nice and cinematic that you might find uh, from a movie. I see. The idea that having something a little rough seems more authentic, is that? I believe that, yes, absolutely. I believe that to be the case. I believe a little shakiness in the camera. I believe the sound quality not being 100%. I think that that's really adds to that authenticity. And I think, And I don't think you can fake that. And I think that's why brands and agencies are coming to us because they don't want to fake storytelling. You can't fake when a dog, you know, is smiling or laughing, you know, it's just, there's something just really, really amazing to see how real that could be. It just has to be there. It has to be there. So if, if we can't fake it and we have to have it, you know, we have to sort of crowdsource it from the globe because that way we have a million cameras looking at a million dogs and catching those one or two beautiful moments. If I'm a brand and I'm working with your production studio, is that somebody on your team helping? How does, how does an engagement like that work? Does, does somebody on your team help find the licensable content? Do you work up the story idea? What, what does an engagement look like for me? Yeah. So it could be a number of different ways, but I'll take you through one use case. So a brand may come to us with a creative brief and it might be, I'm just throwing this out there, Coca-Cola. And they say, Hey, we want to, we want to you know, activate this campaign of people around the world making music, let's say with, with Coke bottles, a different type of Coke bottles. Um, and they'll give us that creative brief and we will, they'll hire us to go out and find and source that content. And we'll share those videos because our belief again, is that don't remanufacture it, that that, that content already exists. And so we'll go out and find and source. You'll actually, you'll look for any video that's ever been made with people. You won't even toss that. You won't 
go around handing out Coke bottles to people. You'll look for the videos that already exist. Is that? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're not in the influential marketing space that we're oh going to hire goodness. some influencer to do it. We think it's organic. Uh, we think it already exists out there. And it probably does. And so we'll go out and find that content. We could just give it over to the brand. We could edit it ourselves. We could distribute that on our People Are Awesome channel. So there's a lot of different ways we can engage and different touch points how we can engage with a brand. Do you have like an AI that tracks, that can recognize images in content and that just goes churning through all the content? I mean, there's just so much out there. How do you sift through it to, I believe you're right in that, there, anything they ask for probably exists. The question is, how do you find those needles? So totally. how do you find those needles? Well, I talked, I touched on it a little bit about the discovery element, how we're leveraging all these platforms. And there's certainly third-party AI technology that we, that we have engaged with and developed ourselves. So there's the discovery element. You can build out, that's great. But what also we do is one piece past that is that we source the content. So like I mentioned before, there might be one video and there might be thousands of copies. We're able to track all those copies. Same thing with this is that we have to be able to not only find all the copies, but more importantly, we need to find the original source. And so we need- Oh, right. Because there's light, because if you need to license it, you need to make sure you do it properly. Absolutely. We need to get the likeness. We need to license it from the video owner. So a lot of (sighs) folks are, you know, developing technology to discover it, but they're not doing it the one step further where we're, you know, sourcing and clearing that footage. Well, And that's critical. And I think for listeners who are thinking, oh, what a great way to do things that this is why you're- the people to go to because fine, you've sourced it, but if you can't clear it, you're stuck. Exactly. Um, that yeah. is amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk me through how your different products work. And um, I think it's great. So thank you. Thank you so much for the amazing uh, questions and conversation. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.